Alice B. Toklas actually invented the weed brownie. What? Welcome everyone to part two of our graduate student spotlight series. You're listening to the QT cast, the official podcast for the queer and trans research lab housed at the Bonham Center for Sexual Diversity Studies at the University of Toronto. In part one, you met our graduate research assistants, Kanika and Elio. In part two, you'll meet the graduate dissertation completion award recipients, Anna Kozak and Camille Rogers. We're also joined by Ezra Skandalaki, undergraduate assistant to the podcast who co-hosts the interview. But before that, the QTRL is looking for its 2023-2024 cohort, and applications are open now. In the last episode, I read our call-out for graduate research assistants and for the dissertation completion awards. These can be found on our website, which is linked through this episode's notes. The lab is also looking for its 2023-2024 community leader-in-residence and its artist-in-residence. The Bonham Centre Community Leader-in-Residence program is designed for individuals who have demonstrated leadership in community-serving and non-profit organizations and have experience with grassroots organizing and practice. The program will provide two year-long residencies to community leaders and activists working on social and political problems affecting LGBTQS plus and BIPOC lives and communities. The residents will work on a project of their choice that addresses social inequality in LGBTQS plus and QT BIPOC communities. Successful applicants will also actively participate in a variety of events, such as presentations, class visits, workshops, panels, and meetings at the Mark S. Bonham Center for Sexual Diversity Studies. While we understand that many who participate in community building projects are also employed by academic institutions, priority will be given to applicants who do not have full-time academic positions in the Global North. And here are some of the goals of the Community Leadership Residency. One, to provide activists and community leaders the opportunity to sustain their work and help strengthen the infrastructure of social transformation by providing leaders slash activists with the time and space to improve the lives of people in their slash our communities. Two, to support the development of grassroots organizing. And three, to encourage mutual learning between activists, students, and scholars, and to create new models of public scholarship and engagement. These applications are due on April 7th, 2023. And next up is our call for the Artist-in-Residence. This residency provides financial and other material support for artists working in any medium, whether that be photography, sculpture, media arts, theatre, writing, etc., whose work centres on LGBTQ2S plus lives, communities, histories, and cultures, and whose work expressly concentrates on one, the role art plays in expanding how we think about sexual diversity, and two, relations between art, activism, and social justice. The residency culminates in a fully funded exhibition, reading, or performance of the resident's work in progress. The artist in residence is expected to be in residence in the Greater Toronto Area during the period of their award and will join the faculty and students who make up our intellectual community and participate in the Centre's day-to-day activities. They are given office space and access to the vast faculty resources, manuscript archives, and library collections available at the University of Toronto and at the Bonham Centre. These applications are due April 14th, 2023. Now, without further ado, everyone, let's meet our 2022-2023 graduate dissertation completion award recipients, Anna and Camille. So my name is Anna Kozak, and I am a sixth-year PhD candidate, um, and I'm in the collaborative graduate specialization in sexual diversity studies. Um, My role at the QTRL is uh, a recipient of the dissertation completion award. 
round of applause, an equal round of applause for you. Camille, can you please introduce yourself by name and what your role is here as well? Hi, my name's Camille Rogers. I am one of the dissertation completion award people here at the Queer Trans Research Lab. Um, I'm finishing up a DMA, which stands for a Doctorate of Musical Arts at the Faculty of Music. Proud of both of you. Congrats. Thank Very you. exciting. We said the words. I forgot to say what program, like my main program. Yeah. So English. <laughs> <laughs> just slightly important day. Eh? Yeah, just a little. By the way. <laughs> By the way. So Anna, how did you get started here at the Queer Trans Research Lab? So I knew that it started last year and I thought it was a really cool thing. Um, so I was aiming to do the dissertation completion award last year, but mm. I was like, not quite at the stage where I was finishing up my dissertation. And my supervisor thought, okay, maybe you should apply for it the following year. So that's how I ended up doing that uh, this time. And I just really wanted to be a part of um, the queer and trans research lab because I thought it was such a great opportunity to like collaborate with other people who are doing very similar research to me and just have this like really supportive environment where I can do my work. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm glad that that is what happened. <laughs> Yay, me too. Camille, same question. Yeah, so I'm also in the collaborative graduate specialization, so I'm, you know, on all those email lists, so I would keep hearing stuff about the Queer Trans Research Lab, and then actually, um, last year's artist in residence, Taya Kasahara, they, um, I know them quite well, I've been in, like, opera shows with them, and so I was, like, I was able to see their perform sort of culminating performance at the end of last year and I was like this is so cool I want to be a part of this so that was my sort of impetus I love that and shout out Taya Kasahara so amazing um Anna I'll start with you what is your dissertation about and what are you interested in kind of around and outside of this dissertation uh, so my dissertation, which is titled uh, Gender Genre and the Queer American Autobiography, is basically about 20th and 21st century um, queer American autobiographies. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's focused on um, various writers who I see as experimenting with uh, not only genre, but also with gender, with identity, and um, sort of uh, posing questions about like how the autobiography is actually sort of an impossible genre because when it gets down to it the concept of you know the autonomous individual is actually a pretty um flawed or almost like mythological concept mm -hmm. um so i'm sort of looking at like how do these authors expose the impossibility of the autobiography while simultaneously like writing within the genre and then how that also kind of exposes the impossibility of identity in many ways too um so the, the kind of paradox at its core um, and then what was the second half of the question? Does this, no, that, that's great. Does, does um, your interest in autobiography as genre and queer autobiography, does it mirror personal interests that you have or how did you get involved with this kind of work? Um, I mean, I, I would say that Honestly, I just kind of ponder these questions all the time anyways. <laughs> so I was like, what's the perfect way to, you know, like think about this and, you know, figure it out while also like doing a dissertation mm -hmm. and my original like dissertation idea was like quite different so when I started to come across some of these like more contemporary queer texts I was like oh these are a lot of like questions that I'm you know thinking about and um I think it's part of even just like my you know coming of age journey in my own life where I'm like well what does it mean to be you know a queer person and to navigate identity and to try to sort of figure all of this stuff out yeah um and like I felt like the autobiography was the best way to sort of look at that and to see how other writers write about it. So yeah. Awesome, thank you. And Camille, flipping over to you, what is your dissertation about? So my dissertation does not have a title yet. <laughs> um, that's gonna be my last thing. Um, but it focuses specifically on a singer named Julie Daubigny who lived 
very sort of end of the 1600s into the beginning of the 1700s in France. She sang at the Paris Opera and just had the most like wild and adventurous life. She was always getting into sword fights. She had <laughs> um, she she had lovers who were men, lovers who were women. She was just living an amazing life that um, it's wild that she was able to live that life mm-hmm. in that time period. Um, yeah, so my dissertation focuses on her, a couple of different things. One is kind of reconstructing her life story and biography, which is like hard to do. I like, I did my best. There's really not much information about her and a lot of it is very much sort of like gossip. So I have like a vague, vague outline of maybe what happened to her. Um, and then I also look at um, the pieces that she sang and the roles that she played. Um, And how those sort of like reflect in interesting ways parts of her life, but also how they reflect like how gender was thought about in that time period. Right. Um, Yeah. And then at the very end, I look into um, my experience commissioning and performing a piece of music that um, tries to tell part of her life story. So I was able to perform that as one of my... Um, doctoral recitals I did that in November Uh, so that was amazing so that's my kind of last chapter is very sort of like you know artist self-indulgent here's what I did that's so cool though and what a what a fitting way to respect this this person this amazing person how how have these artifacts survived like what are your archives that you're mining for her work uh there's honestly there's so few it's mostly these little kind of like um like encyclopedias and little sort of like gossip columns and anecdotes that have Mm. survived. Um, It's so interesting because the vast majority of these sources about her life were written like hundreds of years after. So it's like uh, so much of this has to be speculation. Right. Um, There was like a, there, there was um, uh, the author Gautier wrote a novel so, so vaguely based on her life in like the mid 1800s. And so that sort of like caused kind of like a renaissance of interest in her. Mm. And so there were all these biographies written in like the late 1800s, early 1900s, but they're all so like, so I don't know. They're so scandalized <laughs> by it, by her life, that it's like, um, they're they're very difficult to trust. And then so I've had to sort of like sort through what I think might be true and what I'm like, okay, this is definitely not, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is definitely not it. So, yeah. Wow, that's fascinating. Thank you for that. <laughs> This question, as as writers, I'm sure you get this a lot, and I'm sure the answer is going to change. Um, but whatever you have to say about this, I'm curious about both of your writing process. Uh, what does it look like for you? How has it been changing? Uh, do you have any tips for other writers? Um, Anna, do you want to go ahead first? Yeah, sure. Um, so I have tried to change my writing process, but it does not really change. Um, basically, my... <laughs> main method is just like a bunch of word vomit Mm -hmm. and I just kind of get all my ideas out on the page and sometimes this might look like a 50 page document where I'm like trying to sort out like okay what am I actually what do I actually want to say and I try to go into the writing process like with a general idea of what I want to say or do with this chapter um, but it's also very like open-minded because sometimes like what I was thinking before would end up changing as Mm -hmm. I'm like reading more like doing more and more research and so um, essentially it's all about just kind of like not being afraid to make a mess at the beginning and then to sort of spend the rest of the time trying to like polish it up into something sort of um, that's coherent and like I think part of it I, I sort of like was 
thinking about like what's the analogy for this and I think it's sort of like um I guess uh going off of like our history type thing it's sort of like you're painting like a sculpture or mm. like I guess you're creating a sculpture and you start with like this you know just like a slab and then you have to like kind of chip away at it constantly until it becomes like a finished product so that's sort of like how I do that yeah. um and I mean, I try to write consistently as much as possible as well, because that's really like the most difficult thing to do. And obviously there are times you have to take like a chunk of time off to do marking and to do other things, but like going to, for example, like a library and just kind of sitting there for like, uh, you know, select like block of time, at least every day of the week um, during weekdays is, is really helpful um, or just wherever I am. Cause I like to do work in like different places. Yeah. I might like alternate, but the key is to like have sort of uninterrupted, like concentrated time, regardless of like how long that is. Sometimes it could be like an hour. Sometimes it could be like, you know, six hours or something like that. Um, I can't really keep the nine to five schedule very well, <laughs> but uh, the, the key for me is just to be constantly thinking about the project so that I'm always like thinking about like, okay, like what, um, what's the argument I'm making and like how do I actually want to get my points across so yeah yeah that's great advice I one of my favorite things I've, I've heard about writing just echoes what the first thing you said and it's something along the lines of um, a draft doesn't need to do anything but exist and I love that it just takes so much pressure and stress off me and I will word vomit so much out and I'll use none of it ever um, but thank you for that Anna Camille same question what's your writing process like hmm I think I'm a big I'm a big a point form person mm. I, I start usually with point form and like very detailed to the extent where like once I'm done with my point form outline literally I just have to like turn it into sentences um yeah so I, I don't know there's something about like the little dots that just like visually helps me organize the information better and I can sort of, and I'm like oh I can like rearrange these points so I that they like make more that sense yeah I don't know it's just something that I've really found worked for me and then similar you know once then so I have the point form and then yeah I love that idea of the draft is whatever it's gonna be you just have to like let it be bad <laughs> um and then and then go in and, and refine and edit and actually editing is like one of my favorite parts of the process and um, I see you nodding. Is do you like editing as well? Oh yeah, I love it because I basically by doing the whole word vomit thing in the beginning, you make sure that the majority of what you're actually doing is editing because you're right. just trying to clean everything up, and that feels very satisfying when you go from like a mess to like a polished thing. Yeah, and I, it's so much easier like when you have at least something to grab onto to work with that as opposed to just like staring at a blank page and being like, I must write the perfect paragraph. It's like absolutely not never going to happen. The agony of that. Oh my God. Yeah. So you have to just sort of like let go of that, <laughs> that preciousness it's eventually. Hard. Oh, not hard at all. Of course. Um, Do you have any kind of direct advice to young writers, up and coming writers, anyone struggling? Yeah, I guess I would say, especially coming from... I don't know just like coming from an arts background like let it be weird mm. like I will truly this is wild but I will like um I will read things out loud to myself I will sort of like I'll just I just like will talk to myself a lot about it whether it's out loud or not but truly if I'm like okay if I can explain this to myself then that I don't know I find that helpful to sort of like organize my thoughts yeah um but truly like whatever works for you and um if you want to like draw something about it like draw a mind map or or draw something um letting it come out in more creative ways even if it doesn't necessarily 
end up in the dissertation if that's what you're writing yeah. I think can be super helpful and also I mean like I feel so lucky that I was able to like have a creative aspect to my to my program as well so I was able to kind of balance um but even if you don't like allowing yourself those like little outlets mm-hmm. I feel like it can be a great way to bring a different perspective to it because it's not like okay this is a dissertation it has to look this way and sound <laughs> this way and it's like well what are other ways that you can communicate this information and then maybe some of that finds its way into your dissertation or it sparks something do you have any intentions so the final chapter based on your own performance are you gonna allow readers to listen to it or is there or like what is that going to look like for you yeah certainly so I mean um it was a wonderful like the the faculty of music um records all of the like video records Mm. all of the recitals now um so I'm so I like have a YouTube video of it so I'm definitely gonna submit that so everyone can uh, can watch it watch it and kind of follow along that is so cool I'm very excited to watch that this next question I have for both of you and take as much time as you want to think about this. I'm just curious, what is one of your favorite like tidbits of information that you've come across or unearthed in your research or writing? Um, and you can take favorite in terms of your best, the thing you hate the most, what was shocking, appalling, any of that, um, something you like sharing. Um, I actually don't have to think about this much at all because <laughs> uh, I literally came across this like last week and I just thought it was the most insane and hilarious thing. Um, basically, so one of my chapters is on Gertrude Stein mm. and um, the autobiography of Alice B. Toklas. And while I was reading um, this article about that book, it was also talking about Alice B. Toklas's own autobiography, which is actually called a cookbook. Mm. And one of the... Um, I think the most famous thing that it's actually known for is called the hashish brownie, which is <laughs> literally a weed brownie. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. This is from like the 1950s. I looked it up and apparently Alice B. Toklas actually invented the weed brownie. What? Yeah. I was what? like, I can't oh believe God. that like this is something I even get to learn Talk, yeah, or, like, or write about when I'm like doing my research. So that was just hilarious. I, I loved it. I was like, I can't believe it. Like I learned something new today. <laughs> same. Thank you for sharing that. The importance of that can't be overstated. I'm exactly. sure. <laughs> I have to figure out a way to incorporate it into <laughs> my dissertation and it'll probably end up as some kind of funny footnote. But we'll I really, I'm really excited to keep an eye out for that. <laughs> Thank you. Camille, do you have any? Um, well, I mean, there's like so many, just like the best incidents from um Julie Dobigny's life I mean and of course like swashbuckling <laughs> yeah so so incredible like got into so many duels um did she ever kill anybody that's un- that's unclear dueling hmm. was officially illegal in France at the time and hmm. she like never went to prison for it but also people got pardoned all the time because the king was like okay fine a little duel um, here and there why not yeah <laughs> so it really depended on whether anyone like witnessed it or like how important the person was hmm. so don't know for sure if she killed anyone who's to say uh, but she certainly did beat people in duels. Oh um, yeah, the the most famous story about her is, um, and unfortunately, this is one of the ones that probably isn't true, but that she um, fell in love with a, a young lady. This young lady's parents were like scandalized, put the young lady away in a convent, and then Julie went into the convent to rescue her. Um, and they ended up like setting the convent on fire so they could escape. Oh my God. Amazing story. Yeah. yeah, probably not true evidence. You know, there's there's other stories like that sort of about different people floating mm. around in that time period. And we don't really have, it, it shows up like late right. in, 
in the sources about her. So it's actually is unlikely that it is an original story about about her life, but it's cool. I guess I guess one of the coolest things that I found in my research is actually all of the sort of like internet sources is like a few little like web comics about her and stuff like people have been really inspired by her life and there's like fan art of her on the internet if you ever want to go look some of it up it's um yeah it's it's pretty fun oh i love that i just love imagining her ghost like peeking over all this material that's amazing this next question i'm just wondering do either of you have any questions for the other person you've already kind of answered this but i'm sort of curious about like what's the experience of sort of doing this more like creative dissertation project? Like, are you sort of still required to write like the same amount or are you sort of like Mm. interspersing the writing with other mediums? Like, like what are you actually, like, what does it actually look like? I guess is my question. Yeah. So my understanding is, um, like for, for the DMA requirements, the dissertation is a little bit shorter because, uh, we have performance elements as well. Like I, um, I'm, I'm done them now, but we have three like graded performances that we do. Um, so, so it's a bit of, it's a bit of a balance. So the writing portion isn't quite as heavy. Um, but it, it really depends on what you make of it. Like some people, the performances are like really connected to their research. Other people, not so much. Um, I was, I mean, I was super lucky. My, my second performance, I actually did all an all musical theater program. Um, so I was singing like um, I was singing like Disney songs and like uh, Broadway songs, and that was super fun. And I sort of found a way to like link it into sort of like queer theory because I mean there's so many like queer musical theater composers. Um, there's a lot of Sondheim on that program. <laughs> Shocking. Yeah, yeah. Who knew? Who knew he was my favorite? Um, yeah. So, uh, but then this, but then this final performance was like absolutely like a hundred percent integrated. Um, with did that answer your question? I think yeah. so. <laughs> yeah, no, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Yeah, I guess. I guess on the other hand, I would be interested to know, like, um, yeah, especially like f- from the English department, what is your process like? Because I, I would imagine it's all very sort of like subjective, and there's a lot of sort of like you know, theory and very like nebulous theory. So how do, how do you handle that when like everything is so kind of like intangible? How do you like ground yourself in that? Yeah, um, that's a really good question actually. So like a lot of the theory that I look at is um, for example, like post-structuralist or psychoanalytic. And so it is kind of among the most sort of dense and vague theory you can get. Um, but I guess it also like leaves the door open for really like getting to the heart of the questions about like um, identity and and like genre because sort of like there's a lot of work out there that um, like post-structuralist work is all about sort of like deconstructing everything. So it's about saying like everything that you think you know um, you know as something that exists is actually like in some ways not real um and so it's all about like opening up that space to really question everything which i think is very compatible with like queer theory and a lot of other kinds of theories that i'm looking at um so i guess like it helps that my committee is full of a bunch of post-structuralists um so they all kind of can help me like if i'm misunderstanding derrida for example in a certain way they're like you know, maybe you want to consider talking about this in a slightly different way. Um, it's very hard to fully understand Derrida. I don't know who oh, actually. Oh my god! That's does. like, isn't that, isn't that kind of the point? I had, a, yeah. One of my profs was like, well, it's kind of the point 
like they don't want to be understood. Yeah, exactly. they wrote that way for a reason, which is like, ugh. why be so obtuse? Right? <laughs> why, why are we doing this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I basically kind of just like pick the you know fragments of what Derrida wrote that actually apply to like what I'm doing. So for example, some of the stuff he wrote on genre, I'm like able to apply it to what I'm doing, or stuff about the archive because I'm looking at like you know, uh, for example, Alison Bechtel's work as a queer archive, um, and so it's all about like how creative you can be with integrating that theory somehow into the literature and then coming up with like examples from the text that actually um, you can use to sort of expand on the theory or to um, allow you to like think about both the text but also these much broader questions in, in a different way. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, it's definitely a, a huge kind of thought experiment and that's why it's kind of fun to just like throw it all out there and like really kind of think about it and play around with it and it's, it's a very experimental process, I would say. I'm feeling very inspired by both of those answers. <laughs> also, we just found the like the the one um, like pivot between our research because I Alison Bechdel, her memoir got turned into a musical, Fun Home, and I sang a song from it on hey. my on my musical theater Which performance. Song? So, um, the the really the one where she's a kid, Ring of Keys. Oh, I love that song. Yeah, so oh, good. That I've is seen, so cool. I've actually seen that musical when it was here in Toronto in like 2017 or 2018. I, was, I went to it too. It was like one of my, um, one of the only musicals I, I got to go to before COVID. Yeah, mm. it was so good. Yeah, it was amazing. I cried the whole time. Oh, obviously. <laughs> I'm actually reading that book for class right now. Oh my God. Oh. So there Connections. we go. Connections. <laughs> Okay, well, this segues nicely. So um, I'm here with Ezra, who's one of our amazing research assistants for the QT cast. I'm going to hand the mic over to Ezra. Okay, so I have a question for each of you. I'll ask this question to Camille first, um, which you maybe sort of answered, but I don't know. Um, what is your personal favorite performance you've ever given? And then also, what is your personal favorite performance you've ever seen? Ooh, wow. Okay. I honestly think the I think for like a solo performance the the musical theater performance that I did um, last June it was just like so fun and it was so freeing as someone who is mostly training in like classical music and opera to get to do musical theater was like so fun because it's like oh I just get to like I like there's um not to like badmouth classical music but also to badmouth um the the industry and it's you know um standards and stuff there's just like a lot of like you're supposed to sort of just like stand there and be still and be very sort of like classy and there's rules about like what you need to wear and all of that stuff and how you need to be and it was just like oh I'm just like I get to like move how I want to move I get to um I got to sing with a mic I got to like make sounds that I would never be allowed to make in a classical context because they wouldn't they wouldn't be like correct um so it was just it was just super super fun um and then of course it's it's music that I that I adore so I that was one of my favorites um other highlights from from like stage shows I, I once got to play a cat in an opera of Paul Bunyan, of all things. Uh, but I had this like tail. It's usually the costumes, honestly. The costumes are usually the highlight. Uh, but I had this tail that was made of like a pool noodle cut into sections with like a coat hanger wire in the middle. And it like moved when I walked. Anyway, definitely a <laughs> highlight. Um, and then performances I've seen. Um, ooh, that's really, that's really good. 
again, I think I'm going to, this is so bad. I'm such a bad opera singer, but like, honestly, it's probably going to be a musical theater one. I, oh, of course I, I, um, after I graduated high school, um, for like my graduation present, I got to go to New York and I saw Follies on Broadway with Bernadette Peters. So, I mean, what can top that? I mean, it's like Sondheim, it's Bernadette. It, yeah, and the costumes. Again, costumes, they were just like stunning. If you if you don't know Follies, it's a show that's set, well, it's, uh, it's set in the 70s, but then there's a lot of flashbacks to sort of like the golden age of like vaudeville reviews, so like the 20s and 30s, I think. And so there's all these like enormous like chorus girl costumes with like feathers and sparkles and anyway. Beautiful, beautiful, amazing. That sounds super fun. <laughs> so Anna, I noticed that you've written um, plenty about like a very diverse array of topics. I kind of like looked through like some of the essays you've written and there's like so many different like topics that you've touched, in with, touched on within media. Um, but I'm curious about like, are there any like specific topics that really grab your interest? Like maybe you veer more towards like um, criticisms of capitalism or gender or, you know. Yeah. Um, oh, it's really hard to like just pick one or even a few. Um, but yeah, I think probably one of the hardest things for me to even do when I came to this PhD program was like to actually pick a topic and like stick to it because I want to write about so many different things and I'm you know so interested in so many different things. So um, yeah, I definitely I've done a lot of critiques of you know not just like gender sexuality but also like uh, race, class, um, like a bunch of things and. Um, I guess one of my favorite things to do was like analyze pop culture. So like mm-hmm. reality TV, I've done a lot of that. Um, one of my favorite essays I've ever written was like on race and survivor. Uh, so that was really fun. And that essay got like an award when I was in undergrad. So that I read was part of it actually. Oh, you read it. Really oh, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Um, I highly recommend everybody watches survivor if you haven't already. Um, but yeah, it's just always really fun to like talk about not just, um, literature but also all these other mediums uh and like originally when i was doing my undergrad it was at mcmaster and the program at the time i think they've changed this since then but at the time it was um english and cultural studies um and there was like a separate cultural studies and critical theory uh like sort of uh, side program um but since then i think they've added that to the communications um area and i think that's probably because it does have a lot to do with media and um even like Initially, when I was applying to U of T, I put that like I was interested in like the work of someone like Marshall McLuhan um, and was kind of interested in things like, um, you know, Baudrillard's idea of like uh, hyper reality and, and all of that. So, um, again, like my original dissertation idea was was on um, basically I was looking at like transgressive fiction and uh, ways to sort of like rebel against capitalism and neoliberalism and all of that so yeah um again it's very hard to just pick one but I think when I was here I was also like okay like my program was telling me I do have to stick to like literature which which was you know I mean I love literature but I feel like that is kind of limiting because I'm like I want to also talk about like films and tv shows and all these other things and so um, when I was like, I have to pick something, I was like, what's the most expansive form of literature? What's, what's the one that is like subverting itself at every point and like incorporates various other elements into it? And I figured like autobiography was sort of the best way to do that. Well then, so I, this was like tagged on to that same question. Going along with like the pop culture aspect, how do the like 
because you do like hyper-focused analyses, right? Where you're like, you really hone in on like one topic. How does that like affect how you consume media outside of an academic context? Like how do you just like sit down and like watch Survivor and not think about that? Or like maybe you do, like what is that like? Yeah, um, I feel like I do actually, like when I watch anything, even if I'm watching like, you know, pure trash TV, I'm still gonna be like analyzing like, oh, like, you know, these people have this kind of attachment or this person has this kind of personality type or like, you know, uh, this, what would, you know, Freud say about this, yeah. <laughs> right? So, um, so I think it's just how my brain is and I feel like I can't really turn it off. Uh, so I basically am always going around like analyzing everything and that's kind of fun for me. So um, I do tend to like watch something and then I go, oh, I totally have this like idea for an article or idea for an essay. And that's kind of how a lot of those things came about. Um, and I've tried to like hone that in and sort of not do that as much in the past year or two because I've been like really focused on trying to finish my dissertation and just sticking to like my main, you know, the main quest. But I'm very tempted to kind of veer off on all these side quests because I'm always like creating these various essay ideas in my head. Yeah, that's really cool. I just, what what would Freud think about that is hilarious. Yeah. Like, we're in the sexual diversity studies room, and I'm like, what would Freud think about any of this? I like myself sour. I'm like, hmm, that's pretty Freudian. <laughs> <laughs> yep. What's up with that? <laughs> that's amazing. Thank you so much. So now we just have our final wrap-up question. How has the doctoral completion award, and also how has your time at the Queer Trans Research Lab um, helped, or has it helped at all with your process writing the dissertation? I mean, it's been super helpful, like, the... the f- um, just on a practical level, the, the funding is helpful mm-hmm. to be able to like focus on that and not necessarily other things like um, other jobs that I need to pay rent. So um, <laughs> that in itself is super helpful. Um, being able to listen to other people's research. Uh, I feel like I've learned so much about, even if it's not like directly um applicable to my research it's just like so cool to hear all of the research that other people are doing in all these different areas um and then lastly i mean um the the piece that i was able to commission which is part of the focus of my dissertation uh, i was able to do through funding through sds so that was super amazing and super helpful and valuable to me awesome thank you and anna same question Um, Yeah, I guess uh, similarly, like on a very practical level, it's been nice to not have to worry as much about money um, because coming into the unfunded cohort, um, you start to like worry about like, where am I getting my money from? So this being a source of income was really useful. Mm -hmm. And um, I also was able to like not take on a TA ship this past term, which was really helpful because I was really trying to like focus on finishing my chapter. and. Um, so that was a big part of it. But then I think also the other thing is like, once you get to the later stage of your dissertation, you really kind of start to, um, lose contact with the people in your main department and it becomes a very isolating process where you're just kind of like sitting and writing all the time. So it's been really nice to like be able to get out of my head and just be around people who are kind of doing, um, different research than me, but still like are very sort of like, um, the research is also very inspiring. And whenever I hear it, I'm always like, motivated to go back and do my own work so um having that sense of community when it's so hard to still have that near the end of your um your phd i think is really huge I agree. You got a lot of vigorous head nods when you mentioned the isolating experience in the <laughs> uh, upper year yes, program. The grad um, school. Yeah, <laughs> the drift and the feeling alone. So yeah, thank you. Thank you both for that. Um, I'm really hoping that anyone out there who's listening who 
wants to maybe write a dissertation, wants to maybe enter a PhD program, or is and is considering applying to the DCA, there's been lots of good tidbits from you both, so I really appreciate that. Is there anything that, that you didn't get to say today that you were hoping to say? I had like a quick response back when um, Camille was talking about uh, like saying things out loud, like when you're doing writing. Yeah. And I, I just wanted to add a quick tip, like something I realized like later on and um, wish I had discovered earlier was actually like the text to speech feature, um, which has actually been a lifesaver because anytime I write like a paragraph, I put it in, you know, text to speech um, and it just like reads it out loud for me. And that way I can really like process, okay, what did I actually say? Right. Like, does this flow? Um, it helps you spot typos that you otherwise wouldn't have noticed. So. Uh, that's just been like a lifesaver so that's a fantastic tip thank you for adding that and without further ado thank you both so much thank you thank you This podcast was made possible by the Marcus Bonham Centre for Sexual Diversity Studies at the University of Toronto, St. George Campus.